Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat and as our kids head back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17 and read on down through the end of the chapter. And if you notice, if you pay attention, we are getting close to finishing up um, 1 Timothy. We're going to wrap that up right before Thanksgiving. And and then we get to move into what's my favorite time of the year, uh, and that is uh, Advent. We get to move into Christmas and um, spend some time there before picking back up in January in 2 Timothy going on into Titus. And that'll take us through um, the, uh, the spring uh, next year, spring of 2019. So last week, as, as we've been making our way through 1 Timothy, uh, last week in, in the first half, really, of, of chapter 5, Timothy addressed uh, a situation in Ephesus uh, involving widows and, and involving um, how, to, uh, how the church should be ministering to widows and then perhaps even um, how to include widows in the ministry of the church. And this morning, in our passage, Timothy's going to kind of circle back around and, and, and address a group that he talked about back in chapter 3, and that is uh, the group of elders or, or pastors in uh, the church in Ephesus. Um, and so what I have before me this morning is, is something I think that's unique to pastors, uh, because I'm not sure, of, uh, I was trying to think of any other um, job, any, any other occupation where... Uh, somebody gets to stand up and tell you what their job should be. And yet that's my job this morning is to stand here, uh, open up God's word and tell you what my job is and tell you how, how you're supposed to be holding me accountable to the job that, that God's called and to, to lay out for you the standard that God's set for, for this position that, that I hold of pastor and, and elder. And uh, so we're going to look really at three things this morning that, that God has given. Uh, ordained when it comes to elders, pastors in the local church. So I'm excited about that this morning. I hope you are as well. So let's go, let's stand together. Ephesians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, to the church in Ephesus, uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. The Bible says, The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your word and to hear you speak to us through your word. 
And so this morning, will you, will you give me clarity of thought? Or will you give us ears to hear concerning this position that you've ordained for the local church, that of pastor and elder, those whom you've called to teach in the local church? I thank you so much for that responsibility, but for the privilege of being called to teach and to serve your people here at First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. May your name be magnified in everything that we say and do this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. All right, so we, we come back. Is in, in chapter 5, Paul's really addressing uh, some different areas of ministry within the church at Ephesus. Um, addressing, as, as I said last week, this, this issue of, of how, to, how to minister to widows and how to include them in the work of ministry. And then this morning, um, Paul turns his attention to th- this role of elder. Now, as I said, he's already addressed that in, in chapter 3. He laid out the qualifications for those, uh, those men who are, who are to be set aside as elders in uh, a local church. And, and I think the reason that he comes back around to it is because, as we've talked, there was a lot of false teaching that was happening in this church in Ephesus. Um, guys who kind of wandered off into just some, some weird beliefs about who God is and were teaching those to others. And, and it's kind of um, understood from, from the context and, and from some guys who are much smarter than I am, who've spent their lives studying this book, that, that these men that... Um, that strayed away and were leading others astray as well through their teaching were at least at one time elders in this local church at Ephesus. And so Paul addressed these qualifications for elders in chapter 3, and now he, he circles back and reminds Timothy of the high calling that he has as an elder and the high calling that, that now, 2,000 years later, um, pastors and elders still have within the local church. So as I said, we're going to look at three things quickly. The the first one is simply this. Uh, Elders are to be commended. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Now, Paul says here that elders are to be considered worthy of double honor. What, what exactly is he getting at here? Now, I, I think um, because of what he says in, in verse 18, um, there is an aspect here where, he, where Paul's talking about um, financial compensation. Um, that, that is, that's included, and we'll see that in just a second as we look at um, some other uh, verses as well. Um, but it goes well beyond that. I think what, what Paul's saying here is that, that elders are, are not to just be paid and, and paid well, but they are to be, uh, they're owed both, uh, they're owed respect as well, honor and respect. Um, and he pulls this from a couple of, of scriptures. One is from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 25, 4. Now in my Bible, this uh, this phrase it is in bold because this is a direct quote from the Old Testament. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. That's a direct, uh, a, a direct quote from Deuteronomy 25.4. 
But then the, the next passage is the worker is worthy of his wages. Now what's interesting is Paul says, that the scripture says, and he quotes this passage from Deuteronomy 25.4, and then he immediately uh, says this statement, the worker is worthy of his wages. Now that's a quote from, from what we have now as the, the gospel of Luke. Luke 10.7 is where that phrase is found. Now at the time that that Paul's writing here, more than likely, this is um, before the, the Gospels were written down. And so more than likely, this was from some sort of collection of, of Jesus' teaching that, that would later become what we have as the Gospels. So Paul is, is reminding Timothy, and, and reminding not just Timothy, but reminding the church whom Timothy serves, that, that elders, are, elders who serve well are to be commended. Um, as we've looked throughout this book, Timothy had a difficult task in front of him. He was dealing with the church that was in, in a lot of ways in, in turmoil. He was uh, leading people, trying to correct some, some theology, trying to correct some understanding about God and, and about scripture uh, that had been distorted by these false teachers. We know from uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, where, where Paul commands Timothy or reminds him that, that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound judgment. And, and from that, we can uh, conclude that, that maybe Timothy was a little bit timid, that he was not super excited about having to go up against these false teachers and, and remind them or, or, or confront them in their false teaching. So Paul's reminding this, this church and reminding Timothy, listen, this is, a, this is a difficult calling, one that deserves honor and respect. Again, as I said, this puts me in kind of an awkward position, right? Because I'm the one who's having to, to, to tell you how you're supposed to treat me. Well, actually, I, I'm telling you what the scripture says about how you're supposed to teach me. It's not just me saying, hey, this is how I want to be treated. It's, it's, it's what God says. And, and, and let me commend you for, for the way that you've uh, treated us and, and our family. Um, we, we have felt loved. We felt honored. Um, we, we are well compensated here. Um, and so thank you for setting uh, a good example for other churches. Even when, uh, even when our financial situation here is not, certainly not what we would hope for it to be. Um, our, a church that's experienced a lot throughout the last several years, and yet um, you've remained faithful to um, to God's calling on you to serve your pastor well. And so you are to be commended for that. You know, there's, there is a, um, in, in some corners of our world, a growing um, misunderstanding that, that pastors should, should almost work for free or that all pastors should go get a, get a second job, third job, or, or a primary job and, and basically serve the church for free. Um, and, and the simple fact of, of what the scripture says is, is that's, that belief is not biblical. Uh, we see here, the, um, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Now you can make your own inferences about uh, Paul referring to elders as oxes there, okay? That's, that, that's up for you to decide exactly what he's saying there. But Paul elsewhere will, will remind his readers of this in 1 Corinthians 9.14. It says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. All right, so, so this is t- Paul writing to Timothy, an elder who is perhaps um, experiencing some discouragement in his, uh, in his church. And he says, listen, I want the, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. But it doesn't stop there. He also tells us that elders can be chastised. So, that, so they, they, they should be commended. But, but they can be chastised. And we see this in verses 19 through 20. It says, Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly, in verse 21, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Perhaps you've seen this little article or this little um, illustration about the perfect pastor. And, and maybe this will be familiar with, to you. If not, um, I, I found this to be, I thought it was, it was pretty good. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. Sorry. (laughs) He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and he has 40 years worth of experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings and all of its committees, never missing the meeting of any church organization. And he is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. And this is my favorite one. The perfect pastor is always in the next town over. I've worked in some churches uh, that could have fit this description and what they were looking for for their pastor. I've seen... Men who's, who, who've allowed their lives to be dictated by the demands of the church. I've seen men whose marriages and families have fallen apart because they allowed their lives to be dictated by the church, trying to meet similar demands. Now, as I've said, elders are allowed, pastors and elders can be criticized. We're not above criticism. We're certainly not above making any mistakes. But you've heard me say before that, uh, pull, pull a quote from the great pastor Charles Spurgeon, who said, if you, ever, um, if you ever were to find a perfect church, you shouldn't go there because you would blow it up. And, and, and at the same time, I would say, if you're, if you're expecting a perfect pastor, whether from me or the next guy, you're going to always be sorely disappointed because the perfect pastor doesn't exist. I've run in circles with a lot of pastors. Um, some of my best friends in the world 
our pastors. And, and I can tell you, as, as much as they love their families, as much as they love their churches, as much as they want to love and serve the Lord faithfully, they're, they're flawed men to, to, to the last of them. None, none of us are perfect. And so there are times in the life of a church where, where an elder can be criticized. And, and Paul gives us very um, specific guidelines for what that should look like. And he starts in verse 19. He says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Now, now this is interesting that, that he would say you, there have to be two or three witnesses. So in this context, he's specifically talking about uh, an elder who's caught in sin, who's caught in some uh, pattern of sin. And Paul says, don't, don't entertain that unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. Um, we, one of the things that we've seen throughout, uh, really over the last summer, beginning back in the spring through the summer, um, is that the Me Too movement that, that's bringing light to sexual assault is making its way into churches. And in some cases... Um, Instances of sexual assault that, that are decades old are coming to light in, in the church. And, and to that, we should say yes and amen. As we're going to see here at the end of this passage, um, Paul reminds us that in verse 24, some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. The, the Bible tells us our sin will find us out. And yet along with this movement that is, is bringing light to legitimate sexual assault, there are a whole host of false accusations that are being made for, for one reason or another. Um, and we never want to get into, we never want to cross the line and go, in, go into victim shaming. But, but I think this guideline is important. In fact, I think this guideline is important for uh, for, for most accusations, if, if, if there are no witnesses, we have reason to doubt um, a claim. And so as, as a pastor, who's, who's certainly flawed, who's not perfect by any means, if, if ever you hear an accusation against me, use this as a guideline. And not just in the, in the area of sexual assault, but even as, as simple as complaining or bickering because the, the Bible would give us guidelines for addressing conflicts that we have with one another. Um, th this guideline the, for two or three witnesses is uh, from the Old Testament. Again, Paul quotes directly here from Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, One witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in Matthew 18, in the New Testament, Jesus gives us um, these guidelines to confront someone in person um, when we've been sinned against. So certainly this is, we would say this is... Um, these are guidelines for, for confronting one another within a church when, when we feel like we've been sinned against. And it certainly would apply also when you have some complaint against a pastor or an elder. 
against me. And so listen, if, if you have some concerns about something that's happened, if, 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 if we start heading down a road and, and, and as this church and, and you, you have questions or concerns about where we're going and why we're going there, heed this biblical advice. I've seen churches. I, I was a part of a church, not as pastor. I was, I was the youth pastor. Um, I was a part of a church that tore itself apart because of unbiblical gossip within the church. Nobody would go to the pastor and express concerns. They, they were content to um, argue about it, bicker about it in their Sunday school class. And as a result, almost an entire Sunday school class ended up leaving the church without anyone ever really approaching the pastor and explaining why. Now, if you're here and you're wondering, wait, well, why is he bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because it's in the text before us and, and for no other reason, okay? That's one of the reasons we, I, I preach the way I do because we're, we're forced to, um, to, to bring up some topics I wouldn't other, otherwise bring up. So if you're here and he's like, well, who's he talking to? Is he talking about me? He's talking, no. I'm bringing it up because it's in the text before us because we're, we're in 1 Timothy 5 and he's addressing um, bringing up accusations against an elder. One of the marks of... Followers of Christ. Just as um, one of the marks of us is not that we'll ever reach sinless perfection, but that we repent quickly when we find ourselves in sin. That's part of what it means to to grow as a believer. One of the marks of, of followers of Christ within a local church is not that they never get into arguments. It's not that they never disagree. It's that we learn to disagree in a godly way. Much like in, in a marriage. It's not that a, a, a good marriage is, is not one that, that never has a fight. If you never fight with your spouse, I have questions. Like a lot of them. But rather that you learn to fight well. You learn to argue well. Um, and most of the time you end up finding out that your wife is right. That, that's... <laughs> That's free, gentlemen. That, that's, there, there's, there's my marriage counseling 101 for this week, all right? There so, so Paul would say, don't, don't entertain an, an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. But then he goes on and he gives guidelines for those who are actually caught in sin. And for elders who are caught in sin, the guideline is very clear. Publicly rebuke those who sin. So that the rest will be afraid. Now, now that word afraid there is not um, an unholy fear, but but rather it it conveys the fear of God, that that there would be a fear of disappointing God, disappointing uh, the the people whom I serve. That's that's the idea that he's getting at there when he says that they will be afraid. And 21 is interesting. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. That means we honor those whom God's placed over us in leadership without showing favoritism. And when when there's sin to be addressed, we address sin in the lives of those God has placed over us without showing favoritism. Sin in the life of elders is a big deal. And, and as I've, 
I've been in ministry long enough. I've seen um, a number of pastors and elders, and seminary professors, denominational leaders fall. Get, give in and, and some, some sin is, is revealed in their lives. And, and I would say a disqualifying sin is revealed in their lives. And that should remind us of, of two things. First of all, none of us is perfect. None of us has, has conquered sin to the nth degree. We are all vulnerable to attacks by Satan. Secondly, what I've, what I've often seen is that those who are open to public rebuke, and, and this isn't a um, public stoning, right? It's, it's not a, uh, a, for some reason when I think of a public rebuke, I have that scene in my, in my head from Mary Poppins, um, where George Banks is, is like defrocked at the bank, where they, you know, punch his hat out and, and, and mess up his umbrella. Like that's the idea. It's, it was, a, it was a, a move of shame against him. And that's not what we have in mind. Rather, it's, it's, it's publicly acknowledging sin and publicly repenting of sin. And in, in the experience, and, and my, my prayer is obviously that I would never experience that personally. But, but in, in the experiences that I've had watching others, those who are willing to publicly confess, publicly repent, often have far more years of fruitful ministry, in some cases being able to be restored in their marriage, in their lives, in their ministries, um, than those who would forego that, that piece of the restoration process and who want to just simply go on with their ministry acting like it, it was no big deal that they've um, hurt those around them. The last thing Paul would say is this. Elders must be considered. And, and what I mean by that is um, there's, there's a time of testing that, that Paul would talk about. And he talks about it in, um, in 1 Timothy 3 where he's addressing deacons. He says they must be tested first. And even though that, that phrase isn't applied specifically to elders, I think we can say that, that those who lead in, in the preaching and teaching ministry should be tested as well, and this is what he says about those who are to be tested in verse 22. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now keep in mind that, that this church in Ephesus is dealing with elders who are leading people astray through false teaching. Perhaps some of them they appointed a bit too quickly without seeing their character um, on full display and one of the things we said when we were in chapter 3, uh, looking at these qualifications of elders, is that there's far more emphasis on the character of an elder than there is on the ability. In fact, the only real ability that's mentioned is, is being able to teach. Every, everything else is character qualities. So Paul would say, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. Rather, take time to look at character qualities of those who would lead us. And then verse 23, we almost have this aside, right? This thing that kind of seems out of place with everything else around it, where Paul tells Timothy, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, this is before the day of, um, of sanitary drinking water. And so uh, 
folks who, who sometimes who drank water would, would experience stomach ailments because of some of the parasites and other things that, that remained in uh, public drinking water. So Paul is, is here not commanding Timothy to, to drink for the sake of drinking, but rather to put a little wine in his water to sterilize the water, make it safe to drink. Now, why would Paul specifically mention this here when he's addressing elders? I think this goes back to 1 Timothy 2, where Paul is addressing those who would say there are certain things that should not be touched, certain things that should not be tasted. And and what Paul's pointing out here is, no, God has given this, God has given even this thing, wine, as a good thing that can aid you in your health, Timothy. So don't be afraid. Even those who are saying, oh, you shouldn't touch it, you shouldn't taste it, uh, you should remove yourself from, from marriage, you should remove yourself from, uh, from certain foods. And, and, and here, Tim, here Paul's saying, no, Timothy, this is, God has created this for your good. Here's how you can use it for your good. To take this and use it as a, as a blanket. Um, well, see here, he says it's okay to drink. I, I think that takes this passage a bit too far. That's a conversation we can have at another time. But to, to use this verse for that takes it a bit too far. He's reminding Timothy to set godly example for his congregation, both in what he should do and, and what he shouldn't do. Keep yourself pure. Set a, set a good example for them in, in how to correctly handle the word of God, not taking it farther than it would go as, as the false teachers were doing. Verse 24 and 25 is, is a warning and an encouragement all wrapped up together. Paul says, some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Again, as I mentioned a while ago, this is a reminder that, that, that sins will find us out. As, as one church father said, we, we should be killing sin or sin will be killing us. That, that's the way it works. Things that are hidden don't get to stay hidden. And if we're ever tempted to think, well, well my sin only affects me, it doesn't affect anyone else. Um, keep verses like this in mind. Even though Paul's addressing an elder here, this is universally applicable to believers across the spectrum. Being out of fellowship with God because of unrepent, uh, unrepented sin in your life does not just affect you. It will affect those around you. It'll affect your moods. It'll affect the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your kids, the way you interact with your coworkers. Because when, when we've broken fellowship with God, because we refuse to repent of sin in our lives, it will do what sin does. And that is it will make us miserable as people. Because we are men and women, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you've been forgiven of that sin, reconciled to God, and now you're trying to live as one who's lost. And that doesn't work. That creates friction. So that's the negative side, right? Sin, sin will come to light sooner or later. But verse 25 also gives us this Encouragement. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. 
You know, maybe you've been toiling in, in an area, trying to serve God faithfully in, in some area, whether that's in teaching a class, or that's in sharing the gospel with, with those around you. And you're just not seeing fruit. It doesn't feel like you're seeing fruit. This is a reminder that good works don't remain hidden. They will become obvious. Keep serving faithfully. For us as a church, when it comes to appointing elders, and as I said, I think this, while this passage speaks specifically to the role of elder, I think it applies to other areas of leadership in a local church as well. That we should not be too eager, too quick to put people into positions of leadership. Because what I've seen is, is one of the worst things that can happen is not that a leadership role goes unfulfilled. One of the worst things that can happen is having the wrong person in a leadership position. I think this is why Acts 13.3 tells us this. Then after they had prayed and fasted, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. This is the church sending off Paul and Barnabas. And it says they didn't take, they, they, it, this was not an impulsive decision. They prayed, they fasted, they took seriously the, their job to send them off. Okay, so how do we wrap this up? What, what on earth does this have to do with my life as a follower of Christ? How will this affect me this week? Um, well, first of all, God in his wisdom has given elders as a blessing to a local church. Leadership matters. Perhaps you've, you've heard this uh, famous line that everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, I, th- I would say that within looking at it from a spiritual context, perhaps, perhaps that's a bit strong, but leadership matters. The call to lead in a local church is a, is a high calling. It's a serious calling. And so as, as one who, who serves in that capacity, let me simply say this. If you're, if you're seeing this and you're wondering what on earth that means for your individual life, let this passage be a call to pray for those who lead in the local church. For those who lead in our denomination, for those who train um, future pastors in, in our seminaries. To pray for those who teach Sunday school classes. Especially those who teach our children's Sunday school classes. Those those young boys and girls whom we are raising up to be spiritual leaders in a world that's getting darker and darker. Increasingly, you know, for a long time it was kind of assumed that that we had a Christian uh, foundation, a biblical worldview here in our nation. That's no longer the case. Which means I think what we're going to see over the next 10 or 20 years is that biblical values are going to continue to look more and more weird in the culture around us. And so if I can just be transparent with you for a minute, there, there's a sense in which that scares me to think what, what the world will look like when my kids are my age. In 20, 24, 25 years, when, when my kids are 35, 36 years old. And I feel that weight now 
to train them in godliness. That they might hide God's word in their heart, they might not sin against him. Where does that happen? It doesn't happen primarily in Christian schools. It doesn't happen primarily in Sunday school classes. If we want to see boys and girls trained to become disciples of Christ, it starts in the home. Supported through the local church, the the ministry that God's given to us. With all other kinds of uh, good organizations that have given us resources. But God's plan for raising up leaders, God's plan for raising up pastors, is not the seminary, as good as that is. It's the local church. It's the home in the local church. So pray for your leaders. And yeah, maybe I ask that selfishly. Pray for me as I seek to follow God's leading and lead us well. Pray for our leaders of our ministries here as we proclaim this biblical message and and shape men and women. And then, then here's the last thing. Don't settle for being a convert to Christianity. Be a disciple. Don't, don't, don't settle for just, well, I've, I was saved, I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized, I'm set. You're missing out on so much in the Christian life if that's where you stop it. Get involved in your local church. Serve. Maybe, maybe this morning the Lord's calling you to move from being an attender to, to inquiring about membership, finding out what it would look like to join First Baptist Church. And come in and serve. God's given the local church to us as a blessing, the primary tool to shape us to be disciples. Let's commit ourselves as God's people to God's church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your wisdom and the way that you've set up the local church. Providing for us teachers. For this role that you designed called elder, pastor. To teach and shepherd your people. Oftentimes I'm overwhelmed by the, by the task in front of me and wonder how on earth I can do it. So will you remind me that I don't operate in my own strength here. I'm supported by your Holy Spirit. I'm supported by the members of the body that we know as First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. Would you cause us all to fall in love with you, first of all, with with your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior? Will you also cause us to fall in love with the Bride of Christ, the local church? That we would give ourselves to her, to see her grow, to see her flourish, to see men and women shaped into the image of God through the influence of the local church. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us in sending Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in 
Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.